Hello, welcome to the Investment Trust Insider podcast. My name is Gavin Lumsden and today we're having a close look at private equity, how to invest in private, unquoted companies through an investment trust listed on the London Stock Exchange. And with me is Helen Steers, a partner at Pantheon Ventures, who at the start of the year took over as the lead manager from Andrew Liebus of Pantheon International, which is one of around 14 or 15 private equity trusts listed in London. Helen, welcome. Very nice to see you. Good afternoon, Gavin. I'm delighted to be here and thank you for inviting me. Fantastic. Now, I've mentioned that you've just recently taken over uh, responsibility for Pantheon International, but actually you've been around at Pantheon for, for quite a long time and involved in the investment trust for uh, at least five years. Is that right? Yes. Now, I took over from uh, Andrew Liebus, who's um, you know, a veteran and has been you know, managing the trust for a very long period of time. Um, I took over a couple of months ago, but actually I've been involved in working with Andrew on the trust for the last uh, five years, since 2015. And I've been a Pantheon. Uh, partner at Pantheon actually for, for 15 years. Okay and now uh, that's um, that's great now this, there are, um, broadly there are two types of uh, private equity investment trust aren't there um, those that invest directly into uh, private companies and those that invest uh, through uh, fund managers other fund managers you take that latter fund of funds approach isn't that right? Well it's actually uh, a mixed approach um, we do have part of the portfolio which is invested in funds so we're fund of funds um, for, for part of the portfolio um, but we also increasingly invest directly into companies alongside our fund, fund managers and those are called co-investments so um, we co-invest with some of our leading private equity managers across the world um, they sometimes have opportunities where they need a little bit more equity capital and because we've been partnering with them for such a long time on the fund side they approach us um, with those sorts of opportunities so the portfolio is now um, you know, pretty much um, one third, one third, one third into primaries, um, into co-investments, and then of course secondaries, um, where we buy stakes um, in private equity funds from other buyers, other investors, actually, I should say. <laughs> yes, people will be interested to know that, that so you could, there's a, a secondary market in sort of second-hand uh, stakes in, 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 these, in these private equity funds. These are very exclusive private equity funds that only people <laughs> like yourselves can uh, access, ordinary mortals can't uh, can only invest in your shares rather than some of these specialist limited partnerships. Well, that's one of the reasons why PIP exists, actually, is to give um, the person on the street the opportunity um, to, buy, to buy private equity, because you're absolutely right. Some of these top private equity funds are extremely difficult to access. They have minimum um, entry levels, which can often be um, tens of millions of, of dollars or, or euros or pounds. Um, plus, um, sometimes they're just, they're just very exclusive and they will pick and choose um, their investors. So by buying a share of PIP, you get access to all of that without having to have sort of tens of tens of millions of pounds in your pocket and how many of these fund managers are, are you working with are investing through so um, we, we uh, invest with a whole array of different managers right across the world um, we invest in, in in US Europe and Asia we invest in venture buyout uh, growth capital um, but if you look at where the bulk of the portfolio is so about 80% of the value is concentrated in about 70 managers seven zero managers Okay. And can they invest in the same companies? Can you end up having you know, bigger exposure to the underlying companies because there's one or more managers actually like the same uh, company? So occasionally they will, um, but it's not a very frequent occurrence these days. I think wind the clock back sort of 15, 20 years, and there was a lot more of this sort of co-investing going, going on between 
different managers. Um, nowadays, the managers tend to like to keep those opportunities for themselves. And if they have um, the, um, you know, the need for more capital, they'll come to somebody like PIP and offer us this sort of equity co-investment. So actually, that's, that's really driving some of this opportunity in co-investment. It's the fact that these private equity managers are doing less of what we call club deals, and they're offering these opportunities to their investors like ourselves. Now, um, you've, you've produced a report uh, showing or making the case for how private equity, exposure to private equity to, to unlisted companies can really you know, benefit uh, investors' portfolios. Uh, and we'll probably you know, come back to that. But I just wonder if we could focus you know, much more on the recent events. And obviously, uh, everybody's uh, uh, struggling with the uh, impact of coronavirus on, on the economy. It's a health crisis. It's a financial crisis. Um, one of the drawbacks of private equity, it seems, is there is a quite a time lag of at least three months in terms of the news and the results and the valuations coming through from the fund managers uh, you invest in. I guess there, there, there isn't much of a way around that. But um, is that shares in the sector have been uh, have been hit quite hard, uh, like other funds. But is that 25% discount, for example, on, on, on your shares, they're trading 25% below uh, their net asset value, likes many of their, their rivals. Is that telling you that uh, investors are expecting more bad news to be coming through? So it's a, it's a great question. Um, I, I think that, that actually, I mean, our, our, our discount um, is, is not justified. Um, we believe there's a huge amount of value in the portfolio and therefore applying you know, 25% discount to the, to the NAV um, seems somewhat uh, draconian. Um, I think there's a number of different reasons for the discount. And if you look, look back um, you know, over, the, over, over the past little while, um, there has been a bit of a stubborn discount in the sector in general. And I think that's due to a number of different reasons. Um, it's partly this, this issue of trying to get the information. We have the information clearly, but then sort of transmitting that to um, to investors um, and a little bit of um, lack of sort of knowledge I think about the sector as well so we're trying to do our best to be as transparent to give as much information as possible so that people can develop more confidence I think in the private equity sector. Yeah okay and in March you took the um, I mean I've mentioned the fact that there's a time mm. lag and and, and um, but you're, you are doing your best it seems to to uh, try and reflect the underlying reality. The problem you've got and all, and all your rivals is that you know, they're producing annual results to the end of last year or end of January, end of February, and they all look amazing. But of course, then they get, you know, everybody knows things then tanked quite badly because of uh, the epidemic and they want to get a handle on, on what's going on. And in March, you actually tried to do that. You took a, a manager's provision um, of £122 million, pounds, uh, which is equivalent to nearly 8% of the, the, the trust net assets. I'd still just, just explain to me, that's quite an unusual step, isn't it, uh, in the sector? What exactly uh, yeah. was that provision? Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right, but, uh, you know, unusual step, but actually an unusual set of circumstances. So what happened was, um, you know, as you're aware, I mean, our valuations are based on um, in the most recent information we have coming through from the private equity managers um, who manage the underlying companies. Um, and as you're aware as well, there's, there's this time lag. Um, so if we'd waited until we'd got all the Q1 valuations in, which are now really just sort of starting to flood in at the moment, um, you know, we felt that that, um, given all the circumstances in the market, that might not be giving as much information as, as, we, as we possibly could to our investors. So what we did was, given the fact that, in fact, the information we had at Q1 was about 94% off December, 
valuations. But in the meantime, we'd seen this big, you know, as you've mentioned, this big fall off in public markets at the end of March. We felt what we should do is really do the sort of rather um, intense exercise of a flash valuation. Um, so we went back to all of our underlying managers, we had conversations with them, and we asked for guidance. We asked for guidance uh, as to where they thought they would be at the end of, of Q1. And in fact, we were very successful in getting you know, pretty good coverage um, from the managers. I believe in the end, um, we got guidance um, from managers that represented about 71% of PIP's portfolio. Um, and then there was a small amount of the portfolio that's in publicly quoted stocks, so companies that already IPO'd, of course, we could, we could write those to the, to the most recent mark. Um, and then with the remaining part of the portfolio, we used, um, we used um, a, a, a quite an interesting sort of algorithm that we got at Pantheon um, to look at public market uh, changes um, in the various different sectors and then apply a sort of a private market adjustment to that so that overall we could come up with this manager's provision um, which we felt would better reflect the circumstances at the end of March. Um, so it was a very intense exercise. It involved a lot of direct conversations with the, with the, with the managers. Um, but we're able to do that because of the fact that we've got these close relationships. We're a direct holder into the funds and then sometimes indirectly into the companies too. There's no intermediary vehicle there. So we're not a fund of fund of funds. Um, so we were able to get this information directly from the managers. Uh, it's impressive that you managed to get uh, people to, to the fund managers to, to respond uh, in that way because investors needed the information. But um, what do you th do you th are analysts right to, to, to think that there's a kind of two-stage adjustment uh, in private equity valuations mm -hmm. going on? Because, you know, the shares, um, you know, you lowered the NAV effectively, the net asset value, but the mm -hmm. shares are still trading well below that. And analysts are saying that's because they're expecting this two-stage. We've had the... Um, there's two stages to evaluation decline mm. in private equity. One is the lowering the multiples, the valuation multiples that are applied to, to companies, and that's broadly just taken across from public stock markets. So you're reflecting the stock market crash. Just mm. got a, um, uh, But then later in the year, we'll actually get proper results from the underlying companies, and we'll see that you know, earnings and profits may well be falling a lot. And, and, and so are investors still anticipating that second wave of, of, of negative news before they really have confidence in, um, in, the, in, in the shares? So it's another great question. I think what, what it's reflecting is really the uncertainty because nobody knows exactly where Q2 is going to come out. And actually nobody really knows where Q3, if we you know, go forward a little bit, is going to come out either. So I think it's reflecting the uncertainty. Um, I also think that there's going to be a huge um, difference uh, in terms of the impact on different sectors, maybe different geographies as well. So um, the, the market is maybe trying to, to anticipate that, but I think it's a really hard thing to try and do. You know, and we, you know, we don't even know whether there's going to be a second wave of infections, you know, what sort of recovery we're going to have. Um, I think it's already clear which sectors are doing better than others. Um, and that's something that actually is giving us a little bit of, of, of cause for cheer, I think, in our portfolio, because um, as, as you're aware, our portfolio is very much weighted towards the more resilient sectors. We know that uh, travel and, uh, and hospitality sectors uh, have been hit very hard. Uh, are you saying that you're, 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 you've got no involvement in those sectors? What, what areas um, are, are you represented in? So our, our major sectors are information technology, um, healthcare, financials, um, 
And then we do have a certain amount of um, consumer staples. So for example, we've got a company in the portfolio which makes um, toilet paper, which is obviously has been um, hit in a positive way. Um, we've got food staples, we've got groceries. We have a small amount of consumer discretionary, um, which has been harder hit, um, but a very, very small um, exposure to the travel and hospitality sector. This was a sector that might have been in vogue, you know, a few years ago in private equity. Um, but there's been quite a big shift to sort of newer technologies. And actually, if you look through our portfolio at the moment, um, probably around 43, 44% is in information technology and in healthcare. So right. and then if you add in things like fintech um, and then consumer staples, well over half to 60% of the portfolio, I would say, is in these more resilient sectors. And what, what are the fund managers telling you that you're investing in? Are they, are, are they you know, what kind of range of uh, experience uh, are their companies uh, facing? Mm. So the response from the managers has been great, actually. And we've had huge amounts of information through from them, which always sort of makes me laugh a little bit when people talk about the intransparency of private equity, because we're able to get a great deal of information at the underlying portfolio company level. So they've really been focusing on, I would say, sort of three main things. So to start with, clearly the focus was very much on sort of health and safety and the portfolio companies. That was the first thing, you know, making, you know, being responsible owners of the business. Um, second, it was really on operations. So looking at the supply chain impact, which is really what hit us first because of supply chains coming out of the Far East, and then the demand impact um, really on the portfolio companies. And then after that, um, the focus really switched to liquidity and cash management. Um, and the, I think it's one of the beauties of private equity, actually, that these, um, these managers are extremely nimble, they're very flexible, and they've got a huge amount of expertise um, that they can then apply to the portfolio companies, operational expertise. So they've really, um, they put SWAT teams all over these portfolio companies. So whether it's um, giving them experts in procurement, supply chain management, um, you know, acceler accelerating digital marketing, you know, and everybody's had to accelerate the online experience, but the portfolio companies have really been on this fast track. Um, and then their capital markets expertise has been essential in helping the companies get through, you know, what, what could have been difficult sort of liquidity periods over the last few weeks. Yeah, I was surprised reading through uh, your recent uh, newsletters, monthly reports, that uh, you've continued to make uh, new investments uh, since March. Um, mm -hmm. Other funds in other areas have, mm -hmm. you know, have ceased that kind of activity as they take stock on what's going on. What kind of investments are, are, have you been making? So we're actually encouraged. There's still there's still investment activity going on going on. I think particularly in the sectors that I mentioned, in the more resilient sectors, information technology and, and healthcare. Um, just to give you a, a couple of examples, um, we made a commitment to one of the top um, venture managers in the world um, in 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 March. Um, so in the in the midst of the crisis, um, and that's in index uh, index ventures growth. Um, and they invest in um, information technology, um, things like um, enterprise software, um, SaaS. So all of this is stuff that, that is, you know, is very much in demand at the moment. We also made a co-investment um, in a company which is in the cybersecurity area. And as you're aware, that's been another um, sector that's highly in demand. So there have been, I mean, I hesitate to say there have been winners out of this because I think, you know, with a, with a global pandemic, there really aren't any winners. But there are certainly some portfolio companies that are able to, um, you know, take advantage of a, a certain uh, circumstances and trends. You're well positioned in some, some growth areas, but um, obviously these are very uncertain times. 
and um, analysts again have been of all positive on the sector, uh, saying that uh, trusts like yourselves have, have learned the lessons of the last financial crisis when you know some funds went into that downturn um, with uh, you know weak balance sheets and uh, and they had uh, overcommitted themselves um, uh, to invest money that subsequently they realised they didn't have. Um, this time around. Uh, the sector seems to be in a much better shape. You've recently increased uh, your credit facility. So could mm -hmm. you just talk us through what, you know, what is the state of your balance sheet, how much uh, money you've got uh, at your disposal versus the uh, commitments, the investment commitments that you have to make in the future? So we, we believe we're actually in a very strong position uh, from a financial standpoint. So we've got um, a banking facility which is fully um, unutilized, so 300 million pounds, um, denominated in the currencies of the underlying commitments, um, so, so US, mostly US dollars and, and euros, so um, we've got a, you know, a, a huge un uncalled banking facility, and on top of that we've got cash on the balance sheet, um, and we, we think that puts us in a, in, a, in a very good position indeed in terms of, terms of our coverage. Um, and in terms of lessons learned since the, the financial crisis, I mean certainly at, at the PIP level, but also at the underlying fund manager level, I think that you know, after 10 years of expansion, the GPs, the fund managers, um, were sort of expecting a, a, a downturn. They maybe weren't expecting this downturn and not this sort of a trigger, but they'd certainly been preparing their portfolio companies. So even at the underlying portfolio level, um, you know, they'd been managing the balance sheets, they'd been pushing out maturities. So I actually think the whole sector is in a better position than it was in the, um, the GFC. Okay, let's, thanks for that. Turn to this uh, report that you've done, Mind the Allocation Gap uh, report, because you're highlighting that while uh, some institutional investors like pension funds have really increased uh, quite dramatically the amount they're investing in private equity, uh, the same has not been the case for uh, private investors, retail investors uh, and their advisors who've uh, stayed uh, underweight the sector. Um, what I'm going to give you an easy one here, but what are what are the advantages then what does your what was what was your study uh, looking to do and what did it show so so the the idea of the study was really to um to take a portfolio without um an alternative investment portfolio without private equity and compare that with an alternative um, investment portfolio with private equity and to see you know what the benefits were and um we used um pip as the as the proxy because you know, it's been a very long established um, vehicle out there. You know, there's a lot of uh, data there for the, for the researchers to, to work with. And when they combined um, PIP in the portfolio, they noticed that, that actually the results were, were, were better. Um, so we, we believe that having an investment trust like, like PIP, which you know, basically offers um, liquid access to an illiquid asset class, um, and some diversification benefits, as well as the greater returns, which are available in private equity. Um, you know, we think that's a win-win for investors. Yeah. Now, of course, you would say that, um, that, that uh, the private equity being what you do. Um, but that, that we have seen, even in the kind of retail investment sector, we have seen funds like Scottish Mortgage uh, investing more and more in uh, unlisted companies, mm. and uh, the likes of Merrion Chrysalis has been. Uh, quite a successful launch in the past year or, or two. So, uh, and, and existing um, other funds like Caledonia are well known for having a, a large mm. allocations to private equity. And then, of course, there is your own itself and, and, your, and your direct peers in the private equity sector. But of course, execute, it's all very well for pointing to the theory, but execution is key, isn't it? We've saw, we famously saw with Neil Woodford last year just how bad 
dabbling around in illiquid and uh, unquoted mm. stocks can, 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 can get you. Mm. Um, and it, it, it has, that, has that left a suspicion in investors' minds over, over private equity, do you think? So as I said at the beginning, I, th I think it's a little bit of a misunderstood um, asset class. And I think the fact that, you know, the, the person on the street finds it difficult to access, you know, these high minimum investment thresholds, you know, there's, um, if you invest in a private equity fund, there's a sort of lack of, you know, lack of liquidity, um, you know, pe people find it complex to understand. Um, but, but in fact, if you cut through it all, what are we doing? We're investing in companies. They just happen to be privately owned rather than publicly owned. Um, but these privately owned companies are investing in some high growth areas of the market. Um, they're investing in certain sectors which are really underrepresented, I think, as well on public markets. If you look at our results over the last you know, few years, you'll see that um, the companies have grown both revenue and earnings you know, faster than uh, public markets and the equivalents of the public markets. So I think that there's a bit of a misunderstanding here. And, you know, maybe we've got more of a sort of a, of a communications challenge on our hands to really talk a little bit more about what we're really investing in. And it's not really such a mystery. Um, it, it, so I think, I think it's being a little bit more clear, a bit more transparent, um, giving people more guidance about what they're, they're actually getting in a private equity portfolio. I guess part of the problem is there is this kind of like uh, yeah, uh, overall complexity. You're investing in fund managers that we don't really know about, and then they're investing in companies. But it is reassuring to hear you talk about some of these companies and the sectors they're in. You know, they do sound quite similar to the quoted companies that uh, conventional investment funds are, are investing in. So that all sounds... And your annual report does go into details of some of these yeah. companies, so the information is there. But I think, nevertheless, it's that sort of double layer, uh, which brings me on to another point. Um, what about charges? I mean, private equity does have a reputation of being expensive. Now, your ongoing charges, I think, are around about 1.2%, which uh, actually is kind of pretty reasonable, uh, given it's a sort of specialist activity. But mm -hmm. they probably don't include this, these carry fees that are prevalent in private equity, um, that, that, which is... Um, which is when you, when you sell a company, the fund manager will take a, a, a cut, a share of the profit in that sale. Um, those tend not to be reflected in the ongoing charges, am I, am I right? And I think that adds to a sense of mm, investor unease about what's going on underneath the surface. Well, we do, we do publish um, our, our, in, our entire sort of um, expense uh, ratio there. So if you look through, if you look at the key, key information um, document, the KID, um, that actually does give sort of the, the look through all the way through. Um, and it does reflect both the management fees and the carried interest, which is the performance fee, which is taken by the managers. But I just would like to make one thing clear. Um, people talk a lot about carried interest, um, and it is, it's a performance fee. But it's a performance fee which is only paid um, if the manager overall makes a return on the fund, which is over a certain hurdle rate. Um, and those hurdle rates are usually between sort of eight and sometimes up to 10% actually. So it's not a performance fee which is paid on an annual basis at a high watermark. It's usually paid you know, a long way into the life of a private equity fund when the investments have been sold, the profits have been made, um, and therefore um, you, you can see the overall results of the fund. So it's, it's, not a, it's something which is really paid for performance. It's not paid going along. It's not, it's not part of the management fee. Okay, so it's all in the NATSI value and the, uh, the total shareholder returns that people can see. Um, well, that, that, thanks for that clarification, Helen. I just wanted to, to finish off um, and sort of have a quick look at some performance figures I've got here uh, on, on Pantheon. And, yeah, and I just, I'm asking you really you know, what message you think investors could draw from these. Um, these are figures taken from um, 
Numa Securities based on uh, uh, Morningstar figures, just so uh, we're, we're, we're clear. But um, mm -hmm. it, it shows that uh, up to last week, um, over 10 years, um, Pantheon had delivered a uh, total growth in the portfolio of 193%, which was actually um, broadly in line with the MSCI World Index, so like global stock markets. And there's a private equity index uh, Numis referred to called LPX Europe. Is that, uh, does that mean something to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that really mixes in a lot of different vehicles. So it's both the direct vehicles, fund to fund vehicles, vehicles like ourselves, which invest both in sort of co-investments and, and funds. So um, it, it's, it's a bit of a hybrid, I would say. I mean, I, I think it's probably more interesting for investors to look over the, you know, over the long term, look over different periods as well and see how, um, see how we've, you know, we've outperformed. And if you look at the latest, if you look at the, you know, say, look at the, the, the 31st of March newsletter, um, you'll see that since inception, you know, we've outperformed both the FTSE and, and the MSCI, MSCI world by really quite large margins. So since inception, it's about 11.5% um, in terms of NAV. Um, and even over a 10-year period, you know, we've, we've outperformed. But I think you have to look over different time periods. Um, and private equity is, 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 is for the long term. No, absolutely. No, I was going to say, and the, the, the trust was launched in 1987. So those figures you're talking yeah. about go, you know, go back to there. And that's a really uh, long period and uh, an impressive growth. And even the 10-year figures I was referring to, um, I was quoting the, that the FTSE All Share has, has, has done mm. far, far less. So yeah. it's, it's beaten the UK stock market. And, and the figures I was using were the net asset values. That's the underlying growth in the yeah. underlying portfolio. What I want to come on to then is that the share price, the shareholder return, according to these new Miss and Morningstar figures, was 309%. So that's 309% versus the 193% um, in, the, uh, in the asset value. Mm. And that's because 10 years ago, uh, we were coming out of the previous yeah. financial crisis. And, uh, you know, the, the shares were trading on very wide discount back then. And there's been a big re-rating uh, notwithstanding the fact that they're on this 25% discount today. So 309% uh, <laughs> shareholder return is definitely very impressive. And I'm just wondering, you know, are we, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, and I'm not trying to get you to pump your own shares and I'm not recommending that anybody get them, but it's an interesting, I'm just wondering, are we beginning to approach a similar point in history? with the wide discount on trusts like Pantheon, because it would seem that over 10 years, the fund managers that you invest in mm. have delivered good returns from the private equity asset class. But mm. if you get a timing right, it seems that you can get much bigger returns. Well, we would, we would never obviously advocate sort of timing the market or anything like that. We believe in sort of steady, steady deployment. Um, but it is true, if you look at the, the last financial crisis and look at how private equity performed, coming out of the crisis, um, it actually performed better than public markets. And I think part of the reasons for that is really the fundamental advantages of private equity. You know, it's, it's really super active equity. You've got these fund managers that are thoroughly hands-on with the underlying portfolio companies, which usually they control. They've usually got controlling stakes. Um, they're very well aligned. You know, I mentioned carried interest earlier. You know, they only ever get these big payoffs if they add a huge amount of value to the portfolio companies. So we think that between, you know, the, the great alignment of interest, this really sort of hands-on operating expertise, and the fact that the fund managers are concentrating on these higher growth sectors, which should do well actually coming out of this current environment, we think it's a very attractive um, asset class to be thinking about. And 
PIP is a great way to get access to it because it's so difficult to do it through the conventional means um, that the big institutional investors use, you know, the big, you know, the Yale and the, um, the other big university endowment funds. So this is a way for the person on the street really to participate in, in an exciting and growing asset class. Okay, Helen, well, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for uh, joining me today and uh, for explaining what it is Pantheon and private equity managers do. Thank you. Evan, thank you very much indeed. Pleasure to speak to you.